How many have been touched so far, by, so far by the Holy Ghost upon your heart? If you've been touched, let me hear you say amen. Amen? amen. I've been blessed and touched so far. and um, I've really been blessed by the song, He Touched Me. I really love that song because I know that I've been touched by the Holy Spirit as well as I know many of you here have also been touched by the Holy Spirit. This morning, I invite you to turn me to our opening text in Exodus chapter 35, verse 5. Exodus chapter 35, verse 5. In your Bibles. And this morning, the sermon is entitled, The Leading of the Holy Spirit. It was actually not a, just, it's not just a, a sermon, actually. It's, I'm going to be sharing another part. I've been sharing parts of my testimony here and there. I'm going to be sharing a part of my testimony this morning and how the Lord called me out of darkness into light. And also, my personal testimony is how the Holy Spirit led me into the ministry. We're all led into ministries, but how the Holy Spirit led me personally into the ministry of the gospel, specifically of the minister, a minister. So my prayer this morning is that as we're all truly born again, we may all enter into the ministry field as ministers. Let us pray. Our Father, as your precious word is open and we study it, pray, Father, that this word would change us, transform our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. What type of heart does God want? Notice the Bible says, the Bible says, Take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord, whosoever is of a, what is that word? Willing. Heart. Let him bring it. An offering of the Lord, gold and silver and brass. Let me suggest to you this morning that all that God wants from you and me this morning is something called a willing heart, beloved. Amen? God wants us to have a heart that is willing to do whatever he wants you and I to do. It was about one year after I had my experience, my conversion experience, and I was touched by the Lord, that I had moved back to my home church where I was before. And at this home church, I was asked if I would teach the young people in the youth Sabbath school class. Now, I was a full-time student at the university, full-time student, taking these courses, and it asked me, you know, as, as, a, as you, they asked you to be in charge of the youth Sabbath school. So I, all I had at that time was a willing heart. I didn't know how to do anything. I had no training but I accepted the responsibility at that time to be the youth leader. I remember at that time that I used to go around and the youth had been neglected. There were, I, had to, I used to go around and I used to had to rally up the youth and find them hiding underneath the staircase and going and hiding inside of the gym because you know how youth, they want to go and hide and talk. And I had to round them up every single Saturday morning and gather a class to join the class and we have a youth class because they were surprised there actually was a youth leader because they had been neglected for so many years. And then I remember that at this time also 
that there was a young person at this church on this island with family I knew. And this young person was here down in Waipio Valley, by the way. And he was with some friends, Seventh-day Adventist young person who attended church every week. And he ended off jumping off the cliff at Waipio Valley and killing himself, committing suicide. And I never forgot this. And then the thoughts that came into my mind was this. I said to myself, I thought to myself, why wasn't there any young person there for this young person within the church? Why did the youth feel so alone? We talked about depression this, this morning, right? Why did the youth feel so alone there wasn't one person within the church that they could actually turn to, that they had to resort to actually committing suicide? I remember these thoughts in my mind so clearly. Didn't anyone care for him at all? I remember going up in this very same church that there were strong youth leaders that um, dedicated their lives and their time to the young people. I remember that clearly. And we came to a point that I had to, they asked me, I had just come to the Lord, and I just moved back to the church. Within one month, they're asking me, who hardly knew anything, to be in charge of the youth sabbatical class. And then they asked me also to be in charge of the AY, or the, or the youth in that class, and the young adults, which was a church board position. And I remember what motivated and stirred my heart was this, that there was no one for young people. How sad, isn't it? We're not talking people out there in the world, but in the church, that our young people had no one there for them. So that stirred me, and so I was excited that I was to get involved with the youth. And so I saw the youth ministry there in that church called Yaya, Y-A-Y-A. It's called Youth and Young Adults Committee. We decided to get involved. We commit a committee. Now remember, I'm, working, I'm, going full, I'm going to school full time at the University of Hawaii in Hilo. And so I attended this church, and we got together a board of active people, and we got together, and our, our, big, and our youth committee was, I mean, it's, it was a huge committee. We had twice the size of this church board here. And we used to meet all the time and plan activities. And I remember we had Bible camps, we had social events, we had activities, we had Vespers. We had um, training for our, our leadership where we used to fly all of us and pay for everything for us to fly to the mainland for specific training for us to be the best that we could be for our young people. And so we had these biggest events. And remember that we were the largest and the most active youth group in the whole state of Hawaii. Praise God. We had a gym night where at times there were over 100 people coming to this gym night. I mean, people coming from the community, there are many people from many other denominations that were coming to this, this church, our youth group. And these young people from other denominations were telling me and the leadership that their youth, their youth group and their denominations was boring. And that we were exciting and fun and had many things to do. I remember this. We used to sell food and drinks and make money and we did mission trips. But you know, through all that excitement, I knew that, that down deep inside, something was still missing. You see, at that time, I believed in the theology, this is what I used to believe, that of the church at that time, that it doesn't matter what you do, that all you need to do is believe in God, and you can do whatever you want. So I believed in this theology, and so because of that false thinking, I was, as a youth leader, 
I was still on the church board of the largest church of this island. I'm still going out to the nightclubs, right? Just believe in God, do whatever you want. I'm still going out dancing. I'm still going out drinking, right? That's the, you ever heard that theology? doesn't matter what you do. Just believe in God. You can do whatever you want. So I'm still, I'm a youth leader now on the church board, and I'm drinking, going out nightclubbing, involved in many different relationships, going out to parties. So I'm still doing this as a youth leader within a church because I strongly believe in that thinking. Turning me to Proverbs 14, verse 13. This is something I learned. How is the heart without Christ, even when there's laughter and mirth and fun? In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 13. Notice the Bible says here. Notice the Bible says. The Bible says, even in laughter, the heart is what? What is that word? Sorrowful. And the end of that mirth or that fun is what? Heaviness. Emptiness. So in other words, even if you look happy, like you're having fun, down deep in your heart, you can still be empty and lonely and sad. Is that not true? Amen? We talked about depression this morning in our Sabbath school. And I learned something that I've experienced in this ministry that I learned in youth ministry, that people may look happy, young people may look happy and like they're having fun, but deep down inside, their heart is heavy. Their heart is hurting because you know why, beloved? We live in a world of sin. Then it, went, then it happened again. One of the youth who was attending our Saturday night gym nights, who was going to another church, one day he was found, three years later, one day he was found by his own dad hanging in the closet. He had committed suicide. Then I thought to myself, the very thing that God had called me into working with the youth, which was a young person, I and mean, this is people we know very closely, a young person committed suicide in a Seventh-day Adventist church on this island, committed suicide, the very thing that stirred me to go into youth ministry and help out the young people, and now I felt, people didn't feel because he didn't go to our church, it wasn't part of my church, but I felt the very thing that I went to ministry is the very thing that happened on my watch, I believe on our watch as a people. And I told the leadership, I said, okay, look, let's stop everything. We got to stop everything. Let's take a wall. Let's take a break. And they said to me, no, we must go on. We must move on. We're doing great. And we must do even greater things and, and mightier things for God, what's going on in this ministry. We're doing a lot of good things here. And then I had realized that this theology of sinning over and over again with no hope of victory in sight I had realized that it was not cutting it, and there must be something more to this religion and this church that I'm attending, beloved. Amen? There must not be that discouragement that, you know, there's no... And I realized that it was a way out for people to justify themselves that they could continue on living in their sins that they so much enjoy in the church. And so that was my second call. God called me. And I realized that we were in what I call the church entertainment industry. We were entertaining the young people. We were just like making it fun and exciting and big events. 
And I want to share a text with you. Turn me to 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11 and 12. Turn me to 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11 and 12. Where is God's voice found? The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11 and 12, God is saying, the saying here talking about when Elijah was in the mountain, it says, and he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But notice what it says here. A great and strong wind. But the Lord was not in the what? Wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the what? Earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the what? Fire. Where was the Lord? And after the fire, a still, small voice. In other words, God is not always in a big and exciting events and a great and mighty things and a very strong things that are going on. God is often found in the still small voice of his word and his truth, speaking and comforting the heart and the soul and restoring you back into the image of God, beloved. Amen? That is where God is found. And I realize this, that not, not just having the biggest and the best programs for youth that matter. What really mattered was that if I loved the youth and if I spent time and loved them by showing that I spent time with them. Show me a youth leader who loves the Lord and his, and his youth, and I will show you someone who changes lives. An artificial, external, just an external program of big events and exciting things, and those are great. But if that is what all our ministry is all about, the big things, then we're missing the point. What really our young people are looking for, not the external, outside of having fun and excitement, what they're looking for is the issues of the heart, beloved. Amen? They're looking for love. The number one thing our young people are looking for is they're looking for love. love. The, the young person who committed suicide who jumped out of Peel Valley just down the road over here, he was looking for love, beloved. Amen? Did not find it in his parents. Did not find it in, his, in the church home. Did not find it in his school. To come to a point that you'd rather die than live is a serious problem to see within our own Seventh-day Adventist church, beloved. Twice in three years. It was about this time that the Hawaii Conference here in Youth Department decided to go on a mission trip to Fiji. And now Fiji, how many have been to Fiji before? Let me see your hands. Do I know anyone? Oh, okay, two of us, okay. So Fiji is like how Hawaii was 75 years before, 75 years ago, when Hawaii was simple, was, was beautiful, was really nice. It was a simple lifestyle. And what we did was we slept with the people, we sang with the people, we ate with the people, we slept on the ground with the people inside of a big hut. We even took a bath in the river with the people. <laughs> we did everything with the people, we bonded with the people, and it was beautiful. And at the end of this, one of the young people said, how can these people who have so little yet be so happy, and yet we have so much in America, and yet we're so miserable, we really, even some of us being on depression pills. And I learned a lesson that less 
is actually more, beloved. Amen? Less is actually more. Now, during this trip, every morning, I would go to this river before the sun rose up, and I would, and it's beautiful. It was a pretty big river, about 200 feet long, and there were some rocks, and I used to walk and jump from one rock to another till almost I was like, in the, almost to the middle, of the, not to the middle, but like a quarter of a way into the river. And I used to sit there, and I used to just look upon the beautiful, the, the beautiful colors of the morning as the, the sun rose up. And I used to meditate upon the love of God. Every morning I had my morning devotion. And every morning I had, a, had the fog come in, and I saw as the sun rose, rose up, I saw the fog used to lift over the mountain, and I could really feel and sense the presence of God's love while I was there. One early evening, there was a youth group that was singing called the Young Israelites. And they were singing a song, and this young man, he sang this song from his heart, I remember. And that song went as an arrow right through my heart, and it pierced my heart. And it, it, it really broke me, and it, it struck me. And I was broken. I remember getting up, and I remember I, I ran. I just wanted to get away from everybody. And I just ran to it. And, and I was, it was late in, early in the night, and I saw the lightning flashing in the distance. And I went down to my favorite spot I've always went to. It was that river. And I went to that river, and I jumped from rock to rock, and I went to my place where I've always sat down. And there I remember just crying my heart out to my God. And it was there at that rock in which I fully surrendered my life to God. And I gave my heart to him. I remember coming back from that trip, and I wrote a love poem to God. And I hope it's right here in the handout in your bulletin. I'm going to read it to you. You can follow along as I read it. And this is my experience there in Fiji of how I, God used that experience and he transformed my life. And this is from my heart that I wrote to God. It's called Fiji's Romance. It says, I love you, Lord, more than words can say. A gentle tear not far away. The morning lights awaken my soul. The joys of day surround me, I glow. I worship you now, I am glad. The misty mountains make me sad. I long for those days of fellowship. Our joys, our laughs, our happiness. Your friendship means so much to me. The rushing waters, the glistening stream, the singing hearts channeled to my soul, the panting breath, the searching goal. I ran away from the trees. I searched the heavens, the evening breeze. I found you, Lord, on a rock. The moon, the stars, your love wouldn't stop. You created my heart the silence of love. I felt your touch with looks from above. The silent roars of flashing lights, lightning soaring across the night. I cried the storms of a thousand souls. Surrendered my life to you, I let go. I lingered there for a while, enjoying the peace, your love, your desire. Where do I go now that I see? Do I forget like a forgotten breeze? I saw my Savior in the midst of a stream. He was smiling happy, looking at me. 
I crave for his love, why do I fret? My happiest time, my Savior I met. O Lord, my God, weep from above. Reveal yourself. Show me your love. I felt at that time God was calling me to something different. I didn't know what it was, but I knew he was calling me something different. Turn me to Judges chapter 6 in your Bibles. Judges chapter 6 in your Bibles, verse 16. Judges chapter 6, verse 16 in your Bibles. Story of Gideon. What did God say to Gideon in Judges 6, verse 16? The Bible says, And the Lord said unto him, Gideon, Surely I be with you, and you will smite the Midianites as one man. So God's going to use Gideon, Gideon to smite the Midianites. Now, he said that in his word that what he's going to do. And let's go on to the next, in verse, same chapter, verse 36 and 37. 36 and 37. What did Gideon say to God when the crisis came? Judges 6, 36 and 37. And Gideon said unto God, If you will save Israel by my hand as thou, as thou hast said, Behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor, and it will do be on the fleece only, and it will be dry upon all the earth beside. Then shall I know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. Now, in other words, what he's saying is that, okay, Lord, you're calling me to save Israel from the Midianites, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I really, I, I hear your word, but I want a what? Sign. I want a wonder. I want a miracle. I want you to show me a sign so I know that it's really you, that you can really use me to save Israel from the Midianites. So what happened was he said, okay, make it wet, this um, fleece, on it, and all the way around. He, he asked for another sign after that. And what did God do? Did God say, no, I only want you to depend upon the word. Is that what he said? In other words, God met Gideon where he was at, beloved. Amen? And in other words, God meets you and I wherever we may be at, right? And so when I first started my walk with God, God had, God had used signs in my life. He had worked wonders. He had worked miracles in my life. But that's not where God wanted to lead me. God wanted to lead me eventually to the point where I would depend upon the word of God only and expect the word of God only to accomplish what it says it would do, beloved. Amen? That is the ultimate goal where God wants to get you, but he will use whatever thing possible to reach you and to use you wherever you may be at. And that's the principle of my, what happened next. When I was in Fiji, there was a young man named Jin Yu. Some of you met him who stood up heads and tails above everyone else. He was, his, he had backbone. He stood tall. He was spiritual. And I look at this young man, I mean, you could just tell. You ever seen people, they're so spiritual, they just stand out and like, it was so attractive to me because I'd never seen anyone like it. And I saw, wow, this guy is earnest. When he prayed, he prayed. Like he was sincere and earnest and he, he knew who he was talking to. And when I saw him, I, I had become good friends with him. Because every morning I went out to this river, down below me every morning, this young man would come out and have his own worship down there by the river also. And so we became good friends. And before I left Fiji, he said to me, he said, you need to go to Weimar College. That's what he told me. Now, Weimar is a Bible college. But at that time, Weimar College was the last thing in my mind because at that time, I was almost graduating in education. And I've already been accepted into a master's of education degree program at Shamanan University 
on a full scholarship. Now, Shamanan University, by the way, is a Catholic university. And I accepted it. I was already had plans. I was going in that direction. So I wasn't even thinking about what he was trying to tell me. But after this mission trip, I began to have more and more thoughts of going to Weimar College. So I coming in my mind more and more. But I didn't pursue it. And then it happened. One week before I was to graduate at the university in education, or bachelor's, I got a call from the registrar that said that your counselor made a mistake and you're going to be one class short of graduating. One class short of graduating. I was so discouraged. I had plans to go this direction. So I knew that I'm going to have to put it off at least a semester from going to my master's. So I'm like, what am I going to do now? So I enrolled in summer school to finish my class and just thinking about, okay, what's, what's my plan? And then I got an enrollment, got a packet, a enrollment packet from Weimar College in the mail. My friend had sent it to me. And I remember reading the enrollment packet for Weimar and I reading the vision statement and the mission statement. And when I saw that the main purpose of the school was not to intellectual education of the, of, of the world, but it was so that it would restore the image of God in man. And I cried, beloved. So beautiful to me to hear that, you know, there actually can be hope for people who are struggling with drug addiction, and actually they're helping you to be restored into the image of God and have victory over that. Isn't that beautiful, beloved? being a slave to depression, and they can actually help you and give you the victory, sweet victory of over depression. I thought that was beautiful. That summer, I attended a young adult Bible camp in Camp Waianae in Oahu. So here I'm in a Waianae camp, and it was a very godly um, speaker. And I remember going up to him and asking for counseling, what should I do? And we both prayed about it, and then we both decided, and he shared me that we felt strongly that I should go to Weimar College. And so I felt not only should I go to Weimar College, but I should go to Weimar College now. <laughs> now at that time, I had no money, and I needed to go early in the summer to work on a work-study scholarship program where the money you make, the matching 100% the college would match it 100%. Now, the, the, the challenge with more college is that they didn't believe in that you should go into debt. So there was no loans and grants or anything like that. You had, well, there's grants, but there's no loans when you go into debt. So you couldn't get any of this stuff that um, was offered in other colleges. So here I am, but I felt impressed that I needed to go there. So what I did was I dropped out of summer school, and then I told everyone that I'm going to go to Weimar College. Now I'm on the church board of this church, the largest church on this island, and I'm there on the church board. I'm telling everyone. I told the youth leadership. I told my friends. I told my families. You know, and everyone thought I had lost it. Everyone thought that I was crazy. My family thought I was crazy. My friends thought I was crazy. My church thought I was crazy. There's only one person who didn't think I was crazy, and that was me. I was the only one who didn't think I was crazy. <laughs> and there was tension in my family. And I remember that I prayed to God that, okay, God, give me three signs. Give me three signs that you, I know that this is where you want me to go. I mean, like Gideon, right? Give me three signs. And, I, and number one, the first sign I want to know is that, number one, 
by the way, I dropped out of school already. Number one, I want to be, I need to be accepted into the school, first of all. That's number one. By the way, I bought a one-way ticket to go to Weimar College. And you know how I did it? I had this truck, and it was all tricked out, they call it. It was all fancy and nice. And I had these nice rims, which was the only rims on the island, by the way. And I had these nice rims, and I sold my rims to my friends so I could get enough cash to buy this one-way ticket to go to Weimar College. And I eventually sold my truck so I could go to the school. So I sold my rims, and I got this cash. I bought a one-way ticket on Monday to go that Friday, four days later. And I bought it on Monday, and Monday when I bought my ticket, I was not even accepted to Weimar College. So I bought my ticket. So number one, God, I, bought my t- I dropped out of school. I bought, I sold my rims on my truck. I made a deal with my friends to sell my truck to him. I bought my ticket one way all the way to go there, and I wasn't even accepted. So I said, Lord, number one, have me accept it. Number two, I need to get a job this summer to get that scholarship program because I don't have any money. My parents are not going to support me because they think I'm crazy. They're not going to support me. That's number two. Number three, I need to have a place to stay when I get up there because I don't have a place to stay. I was also told that all the jobs for that summer was already taken, all of them. There's no jobs left. So here I'm in this dilemma. I'm telling everyone I'm going to Weimar College. All the jobs that summer was already taken. <laughs> I wasn't even accepted. I'm telling everyone I'm going to Weimar College. And I already bought my ticket. I'm leaving four days later. Now, how do you think I am? You think I am well, how I am? I'm crazy, right? So the church got together, the youth leadership, and what they decided, they, wanted, they still want to be nice, so they threw a going-away party for me. <laughs> on the next day, on Tuesday. So on Tuesday, they threw a going-away party down at the beach. Potluck. So I remember going to that, right before I went to that party, they had a, I had a phone call. And then I answered the phone. I said, this is Beverly from Weimar College. Just want to let you know, we had a special emergency admissions committee, and you've been accepted to Weimar College. So I got accepted to Weimar College. One is down. I said, what about the job? I said, um, I'm sorry, I can't help you with that. But anyway, I had one of the three down, so I got accepted. I bought the ticket already, but now I've been accepted. So I went um, to that party. I shivered people, and people were excited, but some did not believe, you love. <laughs> so there was on Tuesday, and then Wednesday rolled around, I remember. And then Thursday came, and then Thursday night came. And I remember Thursday night praying like Job prayed when he wrestled with God in prayer. And I was relatively new in my Christian walk. I, my theology was all messed up. I didn't really understand the love of God in my life. I, didn't, I mean, I, all I knew is that I just read Psalms and I had a relationship with him, and I was growing, and he was taking me where I was at. And then I remember it was Thursday night I was praying, and Friday morning came, and I was leaving Friday morning to go to the airport, and I was just praying in God, what am I going to do? I'm flying there and what? What am I going to do, right? There's nothing for me. I have no place to stay. I have no job. And what's the point I've been going? And then one hour before I was to leave to go to the airport, the phone rang. Picked it up. 
for me. My mom said it's for you. I picked it up. And it was my friend who wished me farewell. <laughs> so I hung up, getting tested, and then it happened. Less than half an hour before I left to go to the airport, the phone rang again. Keala Thompson? Yes? This is Beverly for Weimar College. Are you still interested in working this summer? <laughs> I said, yes, why? And she said, well, I was passing by and I saw the work supervisor pass by and I asked him, I said, is there any positions? And he said, oh, come to think of it, there is. There, there, everything's been filled, but just this happened this last week. One person dropped off and now there's one position open for this summer to work. And then he said to me, but the only problem with this, in order to get the full scholarship, you have to work 10 weeks. And I said, okay, great. And she said, but the only problem is this, you have to start and be here and start by this Sunday a.m. in the morning. And I said, I'll be there. She said, what? You're in Hawaii. It's Friday. And I'm, you tell me you'll be here by Sunday morning. I said, I will be there. And when I hung up that phone, by the way, before I hung up, she said, and don't worry about a place to stay. I'll set you up at a dormitory. Three prayers answered. And I hung on that phone. I was, I was so excited. I was jumping up and down for joy for what God had done in my life, beloved. I was so excited. My mom was excited too. She was excited. She, said, let's, she told me, let's kneel and thank God for what he's done. I said, praise God. So we knelt down and we thanked God for what he had done and the miracles he had worked. And since then, miracle after miracle has happened in my life over and over again. But it's something greater than miracles. Turn me to Luke chapter 10, verse 20 in your Bibles. Luke chapter 10, verse 20 in your Bibles. This is when the disciples were able to do miracles and cast out demons from people. Notice what Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 20. The Bible says, Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not, that the spirits are subject unto you. Don't rejoice that the, you can cast out demons or you can do great miracles and signs and wonders, but rather rejoice in this, because your names are what? Written in heaven. Amen? And there's another thing greater than this external miracles. It's something that we are known and loved by our God, beloved. Amen? And that our names are written in heaven. There's something greater than the external power and the miracles that we see in our lives. For Satan himself can work all miracles, we told, beloved. But instead, we are to rejoice that we are rightly related to God. See, the greatest miracle that I realize that God has done for me is the miracle of what he has done in my life, beloved. Amen? And the greatest miracle that he can do for you, not only signs and wonders and miracles and everything that Gideon did ask for and I've asked for, but it's what the word of God can do that reveals the love of God so clearly in your life that it will transform and change you into a new person. That's a miracle, beloved. Amen? And no one can explain that miracle. And when that miracle comes into your life and it transforms you, it's going to transform your family. It's going to transform your children. It's going to transform your life. It's going to give you peace and happiness, joy, and take away your depressions and your suicidal thoughts and whatever the addictions and to alcohol and drugs and whatever it may be. And God will give you that power because of his love for you to found through his word, beloved. It, that is the God we serve this morning. 
The presence of God was so thick at that time at that school. There was a revival going on of true education and wanting to follow the divine blueprint of how schools are run. That's where I got this vision of the school, the prophets here. It was so thick in the school. I remember being in the room all alone and sensing the presence of God so much. At times, I would fall to my knees and just pray to God. The Holy Spirit was so thick in the school that I remember lying in my bed at night, tearing, thinking, God is so awesome. There's a text I'd like to share with you. Luke chapter 4, verse 18 in your Bibles. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. By the way, this is another poem I wrote, Being at Weimar. And you see the experience I went through. You can read it when you get home. But Luke chapter 4, verse 18. There's a text I would like to share with you that God used to call me into the gospel ministry. And this is the text that he said, when I read this text, and God impressed me that this is why I'm calling you into the gospel ministry, to be a minister. And it says in 18, the, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to those who are poor and humble. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to heal those who are hurting, who are suffering, who are depressed, discouraged, uh, to preach deliverance to the captive, to those who are addicted to addictions and drugs, or sex, or whatever it may be, and recovery of sight to the blind to help those to see the clear picture, the true picture that God is love, to set at liberty them that are bruised, set at liberty from the church structure and organization that hinders the movement of the Holy Spirit where an environment of love can grow. And this is the message that God gave me as a minister, and, and he called me every time that I feel I want in my calling, God will bring this text to some special way to reveal the love of God and that my calling to ministry. On the night of Weimar's graduation, each student was given a diploma, and written on the diploma was a scripture text of what the faculty prayed about and decided what they wanted to give to each student. And I remember hearing each text given and read for each student. And it was so beautiful as I listened to the text, a beautiful, powerful text. And then it came turn for me, my turn. And they, and they began reading my, they called my name and read my text. And I read this text, they read the text and I was um, going up to, to read them. And I started to read this text, I was thinking to myself, I don't like that text. <laughs> it has no substance. I don't even like the text they're reading. I didn't like that text. So they read the text and finally he finished reading the text. And then he paused. Then he began reading another text. And the only person he gave two texts to was me. And this is what they read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive, and recovering our sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. God had called me into the ministry. And beloved, God has a ministry for every one of you here this morning, beloved. Amen.
And God may speak to you in a still, small voice. You don't need these signs and wonders and miracles. He's going to speak to you in a still, small voice in the back of your mind. This is the way walk ye in therein. He's going to speak to you through a person, through the scriptures, through nature. But he has a ministry for you. He has a calling for your life. He has something. See, every single one of you is ordained through baptism into the gospel ministry. And he has a calling. Not only do you have a calling and a ministry, God has a, you have a message by God to be given, beloved. Every single one of you. And God has called you as a minister to minister in these last days. And that's why we have these discipleship classes. Auntie Joyce has a class on how to discover your spiritual gifts and ministry. She's going to do it again and again. And you can jump on board any time, but there's no greater joy to know the ministry that God has called you to. And you'll never be truly happy until you experience that. God wants you to experience that happiness. Because I'm telling you, there's no greater joy to know what your ministry is. I know my ministry. And I realize that I don't only have one. God has given me several ministries and several gifts. And I need to be faithful to the ministries and calling he's given to me. And so do you, beloved. Amen? So my challenge to you this morning is that you discover your ministry. I want to know God intimately this morning. I want to follow him because I love God with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I want to live for him because there is nothing else in this world to live for. This is my desire. How about you? If this is your desire, then will you raise your hand with me this morning? Amen. This morning, we're going to sing a song in your hymnals, number 75, this morning. And the song is entitled, The Wonder of It All. <laughs>